Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Actually, it's a very special and personal podcast for the Cedarville University community. My guest today is Dr. Chuck Elliott, Senior Professor of Communication. And you might recall that I had Chuck and three Cedarville students on the program back last year on November 14th. And the topic was the student's marketing campaign that they developed to help Dr. Elliott find the perfect donor for his needed kidney transplant. Well, roughly six months after the program aired, Chuck was undergoing a kidney transplant in early May at the James in Columbus. And the perfect donor, you ask? Well, it was his brother-in-law, John Enright, pastor of Troy Christian Chapel, which is in a suburb of Detroit and about an hour from Ann Arbor. It's now been three months since the transplant, and Chuck Elliott is with me in the Cedarville University newsroom to share his remarkable journey. I am so excited to hear from him about his entire process, especially how the Lord graciously heard the prayers of many for a perfect donor to be his match and for Chuck's methodical recovery. And as this program airs, Dr. Elliott is back in the classroom teaching students at Cedarville University. So let's get to my conversation with my friend and colleague, Dr. Chuck Elliott on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Chuck, it is so good to see you. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be seen. I bet it is. I bet it is. So, Chuck, my first question, and perhaps the most obvious one that I'll ask all day, is you've gone through a lot, medically speaking. How is your health today? How are, how are you feeling? Um, I am uh, I'm doing better than I have in a long, long time. The kidney started working immediately after the transplant, and having a functional kidney after being at a point um, with my my own kidneys being really not functioning well for over 25 years, it was remarkable right from the very beginning. So I, I am just rejoicing yeah. in the fact that I feel better than I have in two decades. Yeah. Wow. It's fabulous. Yeah. So you actually, you have three kidneys, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a conversation starter, right? Maybe that's for another podcast, but... Yeah. So as we're recording this podcast, we're about a few days less than two weeks before the current academic year begins. As a professor, are you ready for your classes and to meet your students? I have all my classes prepared on Canvas. Um, I was able to work on them throughout the summer. Physically, I don't have the stamina that I wish I had. Um, because the recovery process is one that takes quite a bit of time. Um, the surgery was uh, significant, and yeah. um, so the recovery period um, is n- nine months to a year. Wow. Okay. Um, so right now I'm about three and a half months since the surgery, and I get fatigued a, a bit. The medication causes some side effects. Sure. That will hopefully diminish over time. So I will be drawing strength from the Lord, mm-hmm. um, at least in the first couple of weeks, because I'm just not 100% yet. Yeah. Well, you look great. And uh, as I said in the inter- introduction, I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite a while. As you know, I would keep emailing you over the summer, seeing how you're doing and seeing when you're ready to, to do this. But let's go back uh, for our listeners who maybe not aware of your full story, mm-hmm. and give them a little uh, medical history. So when did you realize that you needed a kidney transplant? What was going on in your life at that time? 
Well, actually, when I was first diagnosed with, with high blood pressure, it had gone on for quite some time. And the, the kidneys were seriously compromised at that point. And the doctor at that point said, your kidneys, you're going to try to sustain them as, much, as long as possible. But <laughs> at some point, you're going to probably need a transplant. So that yeah. was in 1999. Okay. And so I thought, wow, I can't imagine that. I'm going to try to do the best to take care of these kidneys and make them last as long as possible. Right. And so that's what we did. My doctors were great, but inevitably time took its toll on the kidneys. And it was in fall of uh, 2021 that um, my nephrologist, the kidney doctor, started seeing some changes. And she said, "Um, would you consider getting a kidney transplant? And so we started the process well before I was listed for a kidney, well before the the kidney started to fail. So- when did you go on dialysis? Because that's been an ordeal even last year for you. Sure. My kidneys failed in May of last year, 2022. And I started the process of getting prepared for dialysis. I had to have a port put in uh, because I was doing the type of dialysis that you do at home. And so uh, that took a couple weeks to heal. And then I actually began dialysis on July 18th of last year. Okay. I was on dialysis until the night before my surgery. Yeah. That was a wild night because I had to go through the dialysis process before the transplant. And the transplant was scheduled for very early on the morning of the 12th. So we started it early. It finished, it's a nine hour process. So we uh, we finished about 1.30 in the morning. Wow. And then I had to get a shower with the the surgical soap to get prepared for the surgery the next morning. Okay. And then we drove at 3.30 in the morning to the hospital, got there at 4.30, checked, started the check-in process. And the surgery was at 8 o'clock in the morning. My surgery was at, at, at 8. I think John John's surgery started at, uh, at 7. Okay. But they choreographed everything so remarkably. Um, he was in one theater, I was in another, and... They removed his, I was prepared to receive it. And so it was a seamless process. What a fascinating story. So as you are being prepared mentally by your doctor that you're going to need a kidney transplant at some point, Mm. and now you're definitely going down that path, Mm. was there ever a time where you just lost hope that that perfect donor was going to be found? And then Mm. let me give a two-part question. Then how did the Lord sustain you during those trying times? Mm. I had a lot of people helping me. Yeah. I had students who were constantly encouraging me. Um, They created a social media Mm -hmm. uh, plan so that the word would get out. I had been proactive in reaching out to everybody I knew and asking them to pray. Right. And and so I, I said this before, it was a communication problem that was my biggest problem, which is ironic, right? Right. So... I was being told by the doctors, ask proactively, be proactive, ask people, would you consider giving me a kidney? And I said, I, I just can't do that. That I don't have it in me to, to ask for that big of a sacrifice. Right. And so we had a, a project and we systematically went through everybody that we loved and trusted and um, asked them to pray and, and share the story with everybody that they, that they trusted. 
And so there was quite an army of people all around the world that were praying. Right. And so I knew that and, and I felt that. So I really felt encouraged and sustained um, for a, quite a long period of time. But then in January of this year, we got word from my brother-in-law that he was in the final stages of being approved. And so hope starts to rise. Right. And it, we were so hopeful that we agreed on a date together of when that was going to happen. So he went for the final battery of tests that he was going to have in January. Um, it was January 23rd of this, this year. And he called us and he said, they won't let me give you the kidney because they need me to do one final thing. And it was to lose a certain amount of weight. So um, it was at that point that I was initially disappointed Sure. Because we had a date set, it was something that the dialysis weighed heavy on me. And the thought of endless days on dialysis was something that was really, really hard for me to deal with mentally. Sure. And physically, dialysis is not an easy process. It hurts at times. You don't get complete rest because the machine is going all night. But it also is imperfect because God designed a small little kidney to do amazing things right. that a machine can't do completely. And so toxins were building up in my system. Mm. I lost my appetite. I was just eating, so I had nourishment. Lots of side effects. But that was, that was a bit discouraging. And by March of this year, I was really in despair. Okay. And to the point where, you know, I had been crying out to God in the night when I was awake and I just didn't know what to say anymore to God. And so at that point in time, it was all those other people who were talking to God on my behalf. They were holding you up. Yes, yes. And helping you in yeah, this journey. Help me to, to make it through. Right. Yeah. And they did, and, and you did. Yeah. And the Lord was faithful. The, the Lord was faithful even when I had kind of lost hope. So let me ask John a question. John, uh, you made a significant decision to not only help your brother-in-law, but in reality to help yourself in getting in better physical condition by losing weight. How much weight did you need to lose? And how were you able to lose that weight in such a short period of time so that the doctors would allow Chuck to receive your kidney? Well, um, I didn't realize, I, I thought, you know, they might say, you know, go home and lose as much as you can before the surgery. But when I had the initial evaluation, they told me I had to lose 25 pounds. Okay. And uh, I told, when we called um, Chuck's wife, Becky, on the way home from that, we told her 20, because we knew that 25 might be really discouraging, and 20 was discouraging to them, I know. Yeah. But uh, in the end, I lost 30. Okay. I didn't go on a diet per se. Just I, I knew what I needed to do to cut down on what I put in my mouth and be more careful and conscious about it. And and actually, I it, it was an opportunity for me to just consciously exercise discipline that I knew 
uh, would be helpful to me in lots of ways. You know, right. discipline is always a good thing to to cultivate that in in your life. And then I had a friend who uh, invited me to join a gym with him. And initially, he said, "You know, I can bring you for free every day if you want." And he was looking for an exercise partner and. So um, I started going with him and then joined the gym myself and uh, still go every day. So it was a lifestyle change for you as well. Yeah, it was. And how long was, how long did it take you to lose that 30 pounds? January 23rd, I think was our initial consultation and May 11th was the surgery. And I was pretty much where I needed to be by the beginning of May. So. Um, that would be, I guess, uh, three months, a little over three months. Deciding to donate an organ is a major decision, John. Did you have any fear for your own life? Or was the purpose of helping your brother-in-law so powerful that you knew that God was leading you in this way to donate and, Lord willing, provide Chuck a better quality of life? Yeah, I, I um, can honestly say I never had a fearful thought in the whole process. And maybe part of that is because of the way that it unfolded. Um, it starts with just getting online and filling out a, an online questionnaire. But really, in order to do that, you kind of have to say, well, if it goes all the way, I got to be ready to do it, you know? And uh, yeah, right. Um, I, I just felt like, this is something that was not really a question for me. It was, it was in my mind, an act of obedience to God in terms of being willing to live open-handedly and share uh, from my my abundance and my the bless what God has blessed me with in terms of good health and so forth with um, someone who um, was really struggling and whose life was really impacted by something that I could help with. It was more of a spiritual journey for you than a medical journey for you. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a decision. Uh, just here's an opportunity to live consistently with what you preach and what uh, you say you believe. Yeah. And um, and if it was his will to do it, then I could, without any um, second thought, put my life in his hands. That's a good lesson to learn. So obviously, Chuck, this is one of the peaks and valleys because at one point, as you just said, John was the perfect match and you got excited that he was going to be your donor, but then the doctors didn't allow it to happen. You alluded to the peaks and valleys there, but was there a special moment that turned that tide from despair to hope and optimism again? We got word from John that the information that he sent regularly to the doctors had changed their mind and uh, he had lost enough weight they said okay. for him to come back in to do the final tests and so that's when things started to turn around really and this time i was more guarded in my hope okay but you know god is just so amazing because they approved john but i found out later that there were at least two other people that were one test away from being approved as well. Really? Yeah. And you don't know who these people were? I do know them. Yeah. They made it known to me. Oh. After I told them that I was getting okay. uh, the transplant from John. Okay. The medical professionals, they wouldn't let you know. Nope. Nope. 
The oh. only way that the recipient of a kidney knows is if they will um, come forward. Sure. They don't want to put any pressure on right. on them. Right. So it's always very confidential. Sure. So you said you were guarded in your optimism, cautiously optimistic as I think of it, but what were the days leading up to the transplant like for you, Chuck? I was trying to get my grading done as quickly as possible. So I, I Because was, school just ended, right? Well, we found out in the middle of April and we had I had two more weeks of school. Okay. Um so I was consumed with making sure that all my schoolwork was done, everything was turned in in a timely manner. And so I would have time to kind of have a few days to process what was going yeah. on. How about you, John? Well, First of all, there was a, a real sense of accomplishment in terms of uh, being successful and losing the weight and feeling good physically yeah. um, and, uh, and emotionally as well that I had accomplished that. I don't think I realized until we met, we, we had to go, Sharon and I, my wife and I had to go a couple of days early to have a pre- surgical meeting with the team and everything and becky and chuck um, met us uh for dinner um, and it was as chuck talked at that meal that it really hit me what an impact um it would have mm -hmm. on his life and so that was really uh i guess sobering for me to to hear him talk about what he had been through, which I didn't actually, we hadn't talked a whole lot about that. Um, and so it was kind of new information for me, yeah. how much time it took him to set up the machine and be attached to the machine and what it, you know, not only the, the, the amount of time, but the, the physical implications of that, the fatigue and the pain. Um, it was really that then that it kind of struck me, you know, and a, a real sense of joy that uh, this will really make a huge difference for him. Yeah. And when I hear him say that within five hours of the transplant, he has felt better than he's ever felt. And he told the nurses that that's just amazing. And, and that points to really your faithfulness to the Lord yeah. and, and, and the impact that you have really made on his life. I'm sure you guys were close prior sure. to the the transplant, but does this bring any any added bond to you and him going forward? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I I pray for Chuck and my sister Becky uh, every morning um, as I'm doing my workout, actually, because it helps me to yeah. that. Just all of that is tied together with that. My wife bought us both a bell, uh, Chuck and and I to hang in our homes as reminders of, uh, of, of this event. And um, Chuck, when he writes, he, he often reminds us, uh, I ring that bell every morning. Oh. And uh, it's just, a, just a, a, a connection there that um, is a reminder, you know, stones of remembrance, so to yeah. speak, right. Uh, right. of uh, what took place and mostly of God's faithfulness in the midst of all of it to, you know, we talked about that when, when we met for dinner that night, Chuck talked about the fact that uh, my sister's mom had passed away when she was young. My dad had passed away when I was young. 
right. and God brought our two families together. Um, and all those decades ago, uh, he he knew all the different ways that he was going to use that uh, that brokenness in our lives in, in order to create healing. And, and that has been achieved in many more ways than than just this. And yet this is a, a, an example of that. And it's obvious that that brokenness that you just talked about 50 years ago that brought two families together. Right. Without that, this may, this, this day, your transplant may never happen with Chuck. That's, sure. That's just amazing. Yeah. So how is your health today and how has your recovery been? The first few days were rough. Uh, Chuck, Chuck took off out of the gate and I was a little slower uh, out of the gate uh, for about a week and a half, I think. Um, but I would say that uh, probably within three weeks, I felt easily 80%. And okay. um, within, uh, by the time I went back for my uh, six week, um, let me see. No, it wasn't. I didn't have to go back. I went back about a week and a half after, but I had to be careful of how much I lifted and that kind of thing for about six weeks. As soon as I got past that marker, I just dove back in with with both feet and I can say I I I have really felt a hundred percent for a couple months now. Right. I occasionally get a get a twinge in the area of the incision as my body continues to heal in that way a little bit, but um, maybe once every two or three weeks for I I, I feel that. But really, I I feel great. That's great, Chuck. I remember talking with you several months before the transplant. If I remember correctly, you were hoping to have the transplant over Christmas break. In your mind, you'd be able to be back in the classroom in January. Now, knowing what you know now about recovery from an organ transplant, how feasible or realistic was that hope in your mind? Yeah, I had been hopeful that the process would go a lot faster. You know, God's timing is is the best. My schedule would have been totally impossible. You you wouldn't have been back in the classroom last semester, that semester. No. No. I would not. It is amazing. The timing for the surgery was actually only three weeks after that original date that John and I had set. Really? Yeah. They got us in very, very quickly. And the fact that it was just a week after graduation was incredible because it allowed this, the, the surgery and the recovery period to be long enough so that I could be approved to go back to work. Yeah. So God knew the best way to do it, and uh, I'm so glad he didn't do it my way because it wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah, God's ways are always perfect. Yeah. And it's easy for, I'll say easy for me, it may be easy for you too, to think that our ideas are great or my idea is the best, but... Mm -hmm. When you just sit back and just realize what God has done in our lives from today to point back, mm. it's like, why do we even question or why do we even think that our way should be the way to proceed? It's, it's, it's foolishness. It's a hard thing to thank God for what he hasn't done. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing in this case to see that I'm glad yeah. his way is the best way. That's, that's his grace and his mercy. Yeah. No yeah. question. What would you say has been the most challenging aspect of your total kidney situation, Chuck? Is it preparing for the transplant? Is it the transplant itself? Or is it the post-op recovery time? 
the recovery. The recovery is a, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Okay. The, the time period before, the period right before I got the transplant, it was just a rush of a different emotions. You know, uh, a little anxiety. The idea that dialysis would end was, was just wonderful yeah. to think about. And then the, the surgery itself, they are amazing in the way that they do things. And they have done several thousand at, at OSU, and my surgeon was incredible. So that part was amazing. My, my surgeon came in to the recovery room and asked me how I, how I was feeling, and I said, I feel better than I have in years. Right away. Right away, immediately. And she said, who says that after five hours of surgery? I mean, it's just re- remarkable even to her. Yeah. But that was the difference. And I was on such a high for that time period because yeah. it, it's that time period where you're, you can see God so clearly. And it's like that mountaintop experience where you don't want that to end. And you're right. kind of afraid right. because you know yourself so well that when you come back to reality, it's not going to be like that moment when you, you're... You're just so, so close, and, and and God is so apparent that that you don't want that to end. Right. But the recovery period is again a, another long journey. Are you still in that that sweet spot with Jesus? Um. Or is it has it waned a little bit? It 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 has waned a bit because again the the pain the 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 long days sure it's just not that that same type of connection i mean there there is a, a different a, a different walk than you do you have at the top of the mountain as you're as you're walking through the recovery period and and, and trying to take care of yourself and right. trying to learn a new way of life and yeah. there's still that re- remarkable aspect of what God has done, mm-hmm. but it's a different type of interaction. Okay, because it's it's not wow, look at what you have just done. It is um, we're walking together I, uh, through this process, and I'm going to get to the end of the process because you're walking. I'm walking with you, and, yeah. and you're taking care of me. Mm. Good observation. So as we talk about the recovery even a little more, mm. what is it like? Is is recovery now for you, Chuck, just a lifestyle because you have to, from this point to the rest of your life, have to worry about infection or rejection? Or what is your process in the recovery aspect? The process of recovery um, has two two parts to it, I think. The first part is physical healing. That is the the incisions and internally the kidney, the, the things that they had to do to connect the kidney and all the, that healing process, because it was such a serious type of surgery, it, it's going to take a bit of time to, okay. to heal. The The incision has healed really well. I haven't had any infections to this point. Good. So that's one part of it. But the other part of it is learning how to take care of yourself so that you don't get sick. Uh, and that's based on the fact that you have to take anti-rejection medication. 
so that your body doesn't see the new kidney as some foreign thing that it needs to reject. So I'm, I'm taking anti-rejection medication and I have to take it at a certain time. So I take it nine o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock at night, and it has to be 12 hours apart. And I will take that for the rest of my life. So that gives a different rhythm to life, you know, mm -hmm. because you have to take it or you're going to have some problems. Another aspect to the medication is the doctors are trying to get the right dosage for the medication. Too little and the body will reject the kidney, too much and you get side effects from the medication. And the side effects, there are a wide variety of different side effects that you can get. Mm -hmm. So making sure that, that the right dosage is there, I go twice a week for blood draws so that they can determine um, how much of the medication is actually there. If it's too high, then they'll reduce the dosage. So we're playing around with the, with the, the dosage okay. now. So once they get the dosage right, is it pretty much that's what, how it'll be? Or are there reasons that maybe the dosage may need to be increased or decreased next year or five years? From what I understand, they will get the dosage at a certain point where it's working well. And then that'll be pretty stable. Okay. Yeah. Have you had any side effects? Yes. I, I have trembling in my hands. Okay. And uh, an interesting story that the surgeon told me was that in the past, they weren't able to get lab results back as quickly. And so she didn't have my labs the last time I saw her. And so she told me, hold out your hands. Yeah. So I held out my hands yeah. and she said, okay, we got to reduce the, your medication. Because, that's something. Yeah. And that's how they used to do it in the past. They just looked to see how much trembling was in the hands. Right. So another side effect is spontaneous anxiety attacks mm. that come out of nowhere. Really? Yeah. And uh, fortunately, they don't last too long. And knowing that that's a side effect, I can deal with it. That it's not something that I need to be concerned about. It's just some, something because of the medication. Right. And that is something, among many other issues that our listeners and our campus community can pray for you. Sure. That you deal with this well, and then actually they even go away. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm hoping, that um, it's not just the dosage, but the body gets used, used to the to medication. Yep. Yeah. So as I think about the academic year, mm. it's just begun at, at the area of this podcast, uh, do you see the transplant having an impact in your teaching or your teaching ability? Because you maybe stamina. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps you think it's just going to be a pretty normal academic year for you. I hear you don't have to go to meetings. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I asked for accommodations for are related to the medications. And the medications reduce my immune system significantly. And so I cannot be with large groups of people in enclosed spaces for quite some time. And so I have larger classrooms now so that there's more okay. distance between myself and the and the students. And I will tell students the first day that we meet that, you know, I'm immune compromised. And so um, the normal aspects of our way of life where we get physically close with one another and talking with people, um, I'm going to have to have some distance. And I will tell people, um, you know, if you're if you're ill, if you're sick, I can't be around you. So yeah, you yeah. have to be very careful. Yep, I do. Because yeah. if I get sick, I'll get very very sick. Yeah, we don't want that to happen. 
Check in our final minutes together. What comments would you like to say to those who may need an organ transplant, whether it's a kidney, a heart, or whatever it is? What would you say to those people who are walking the same journey that you just have walked through to this point? I'd say my experience has been one in which I have a greater appreciation for the way that God does things and that God uses his people in incredible ways. Yeah. And so one of the hardest things I think for somebody who is sick, at least it was in my case, is to ask for help. And we have to ask God for help, of course, but um, God uses his people right. to help. So don't be afraid to ask people to pray for you, to, to help you when you need that help. Uh, we live in a culture where if you ask for help, you're, you're seen as being um, unable to do something, but we're all unable to do things. And one of the biggest disabilities that we, we have is if we need an organ, that's not something that anybody in any way can do themselves. And so they have to, they have to reach out to other people and trust that God will move somebody in right. somebody's heart right. to make that sacrifice because yeah. um, that sacrifice is not just something for you. It is something for the giver. Right. The giver becomes more like Jesus through that sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is such an incredible thing to me to see God and understand things that I've known with my head all my life, to see those, those things come into reality in such a powerful way that the whole idea of there has to be a sacrifice mm. for somebody to be saved. Yeah. And you don't see that as powerfully in any other aspect of life than in a transplant. Yeah. Because God has transplanted the heart of Jesus into us. Yeah. And so for a transplant person like me, it's double redemption. Oh. God has saved my soul, yeah. but he's also saved my life. Yeah. I, I can see just sitting here looking at you, hearing your voice, you're a new man. You're not just a new man physically, yeah, but you're a new man spiritually. Is that, yeah. is that fair? Yes. And I would say I am a person of gratitude. Mm. I am a person who is so grateful. Mm. And I have resolved not to be afraid to tell people, thank you. Yeah. Or I am so grateful for what yeah. you have done because... I am here the way that I am. I am whole again because of somebody's sacrifice. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that have been behind that sacrifice. The the prayer warriors, mm. the the doctors at the hospital, my family who sustained me. It's just so many people like just get overwhelmed with this sense that um, I am grateful, most grateful to a God who is faithful. Mm. That's a great place to end today's program. Chuck, I really thank you for your time today, coming to the studio to, to record this program. I look forward to following your journey. I'll stay in touch with you. And I want to thank John, too, for donating his kidney and giving Chuck life, a better life uh, as a result. So, And Chuck and John, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to be with you. Good to be here. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. 
You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory. Thank you.